She went for a walk to clear her mind. It had been a really tiring season of event after event, deadlines for school, for camp and work, and spiritual battles for, for those around her. In the midst of it all, she felt as if she was starting to crash. She felt overwhelmed as if she was doing everything second-rate and poorly, feeling on the brink of burnout with tears close to spilling over most days, or like she was just going to blow up at somebody, at anyone. She just wasn't in a good headspace. So she went for this walk to refocus and refresh, to work through things outdoors in creation. And as she walked, the tears fell. And her heart was poured out before God. In the midst of feeling caught in a downward spiral, almost hopeless of how to get out or what to do, the Holy Spirit drew her attention to what was going on. As she had been walking, she was so focused on the ground. The reason being was because she didn't want to step in any of those delightful presents that the geese leave behind, the bird poop. The bird poop. She had been so fixated on what was beneath, on the ground, that she didn't even take in what was around or above her. At that moment of fixating on her failures, her pain, her exhaustion, in the spiritual realm, the Holy Spirit cuts the chase by pointing out that what she was walking through in the physical realm mirrored what was happening in the physical or in the spiritual realm. That what she was focusing on was keeping her from enjoying the beauty all around her. You know, I was at Bower Ponds when this happened to me a couple weeks ago. And when I looked up finally, when the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, look up, stop looking at the bird poop, I started to cry. The reason wasn't because I was in so much pain or anything, but rather because I was overwhelmed by his goodness, because his goodness outweighs any failure, pain, or exhaustion. See, I was so focused on the bird poop on the path that I didn't see the beauty around me. In the same way, I was so focused on my failures, my pain, my exhaustion, that I didn't see his goodness. I wasn't seeing what he was doing, what was coming when we fixate on the ground, when we fixate on the mud, on the mire, on our failures, on our pain, we don't see God's goodness and we don't walk in the life that God has enabled us to walk in. Where are you at today? Maybe you feel like you're just walking around with your head down. Or you're picking up this big duffel bag and you're walking with that and you just feel defeated or you're walking in shame or guilt or condemnation. Where are you at today? I want to encourage us that we would lift up our eyes, that we would lift our heads and that we would see that God is good, that we would awaken to new life today. This new life is an incredible life that Jesus has given us. So I want to hit on four characteristics of this new life in Romans chapter 8. So I'd encourage you, flip to Romans chapter 8, follow along with me. And man, I'd also really encourage you, spend time there this week. I, you could spend a whole sermon, a whole series on this chapter. But I want to give us a big overview today of what this new life looks like. Because it's so rich. It's so full. It's so beautiful. Um, so as you're flipping to Romans chapter 8, just a bit of background. It was written by Paul in the first century. And Paul, he used to persecute and kill Christians. And then when he met Jesus face to face, he was 
was transformed, and rather than killing and persecuting Christians, he was willing to die and be persecuted for Christ. So Paul had this radical transformation. He spent the rest of his life telling other people about Jesus, uh, planting churches, and um, he wrote a lot of our New Testament. So Romans is a letter that was written to a church that Paul had never been to. It's one of the most in-depth letters that we have of theology, of who God is, who we are, what Jesus has done, and the life that we get to live because of that. It's very in-depth, and we see as you read through the book of Romans that Paul lays out this incredible in-depth theology, and then he moves on to say, this is how you're supposed to live because of it. So in the last couple chapters of Romans, you can tell that probably in this church there were some divisions because he talks a lot about unity. See, this church was probably started in the Jewish community in Rome, and then Gentiles were saved and joined the church. But then at one point in the, new, or in the first century, Jews were kicked out of Rome. So then it became a Gentile church, and then the Jews, when they were allowed back into Rome, came back to the church, and they're like, whoa. What's going on here? So there were these, these divisions happening between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. So Paul's writing to them, explains the gospel, explains how you're supposed to live, and then he says, okay, live in unity. Let's walk together. Let's walk together. And so Romans 8, though, kind of falls right smack dab in the middle of the book, and it is almost this climax that the whole book up to that point is building towards talking about the life that we have because of what Jesus did on the cross. And then he goes into the outcome. So chapter eight though is an incredible chapter. And we're gonna fly through it, like I said, but I hope you grasp the new life that you get to live because this, this chapter, this message has been burning in my heart, bouncing around in my head for a couple months now because I look around and I look within and too often I see us Christians walking in defeat. We walk in, in the shadow of shame and guilt from our past rather than claiming what Jesus has done for us. We walk as if we're with our heads down and, and just low, like we've got that duffel bag of my past still on. We walk in defeat so often, just as if Jesus just died to save us from hell rather than to save us for new life today. So I want to proclaim today that by scripture that Jesus has set us free and he wants us to enter into new life. So where are we today? That's where I want to go. Amen. Yeah, we have new life in Jesus. So this first characteristic that I want to talk about um, in chapter 8 is that we have new life in the Holy Spirit. So verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. We can walk in victory because of the Spirit. Our past does not have to define us anymore. Our, our baggage from the past, our failures in the present, or our fear of the future does not define me. Why? There is no condemnation. 
Anything from my past does not define me. Only Jesus' blood and his righteousness defines me now. But do we walk in it? Am I still stuck with my head down, looking at the mud and the mire? Or can we lift our heads, actually, and see the beauty and claim the new life that Jesus has given us? The new life in the Holy Spirit. You know, a couple years ago, I did a class on this book of Romans, and one of my biggest aha moments was the fact that um, in chapter, the transition from chapter 7 into chapter 8, you know, chapter 7, Paul says, what I don't want to do, that's what I do, and what I do want to do, I don't do it. Basically, I'm a big mess up. I, I can't, I'm a failure, I can't do this life. Who's going to save me from this body of death? I'm a wretch. And so many times we'll preach that in the church and say, well, yeah, you're going to struggle with sin and might as well just deal with it until you get to heaven. And like there's parts of it that are true. Yes, we will still struggle with sin. Yes, we do. But that doesn't define us. Chapter 7 is actually written describing the pre-Christian state, describing when the law was in place. And the law was good, but it was powerless. It couldn't do anything. It couldn't help us overcome sin. So we try really hard to be good, but we never could be. You know, the interesting division or uh, distinction between other religions and Christianity is that in every other religion, the God or the gods require you to be really good to please the gods, to do it all in your own strength, to try to do the right things and maybe please the gods to get to heaven. The difference with Christianity is that God knew we couldn't get to heaven. God knew we couldn't have a relationship with him and he doesn't leave us in that, but rather he himself, Jesus, came down to this earth. And it says, so in verse two, that he became a sin offering for us. Jesus paid the price. Yeah, that's exciting. Because now I don't have to walk in sin and condemnation. It says there is now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. In in chapter 7 at the end, he says, "Um, What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We don't have to walk with that baggage. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what kind of baggage are you carrying? I've been praying, God set us free. We don't have to carry that anymore. We can walk with our heads up. We can walk knowing that we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. It's nothing that I've done. It's everything that he's done. I just need to step into it and stand in it. So are we standing in it today? So how do we walk in this freedom? How do we walk in this victorious life in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, in verse 4 it says we walk according to the Holy Spirit. So before Jesus died, he has this... um, He has a supper with his disciples in John 14 through 16, and he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. He says, you know, I've got to go because it's better for you if I go because then I'll send the Holy Spirit. I'll send you the advocate, the helper, the one who will remind you of all of the things that I've said. And not only will he be with you always, he will live in you. So the God who created the universe, the God, the Holy Spirit who rose Christ from the dead dwells within us. And he's the one who's going to help us live victoriously so that I don't have to slip back into my old habits. 
I don't have to slip back into my baggage or my junk in the past. I can walk and be a new creation. And how does the Holy Spirit help us? One of the main ways in this chapter is that he helps us change our thinking. Chapter, or verse 5, it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. Man, this is a big deal, what we think. What we think is a huge deal. You know, Norman Wright, he's a Christian psychologist, and he says about 80% of what we think is negative. That's a big percentage. And not only is it a big percentage, but it's a really big deal because what we think dictates what we do, and what we do dictates where we end up. What are we thinking about? We need to change our thinking, and I've been asking God, God, help me, because I've been feeling caught in this downward spiral, and I've been battling, God, help me, help me stand on truth, help me to extinguish those lies with your truth, and so I'm thinking, I'm trying to memorize scripture, I'm trying to read the word a lot, so that I'm standing on truth, rather than succumbing to the lies. What are you thinking? If we want to walk in victory, We need the help of the Holy Spirit to change our thinking, to change our thought patterns. If we're mulling on the negative, that's where we're going to end up. And the Bible talks a lot about what we're thinking. Just a couple passages, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Get into the word. If you're not reading it every day, we need to be. You're not going to be strong. You won't be able to really live in that victory if you don't know the word. We need to know it. So that the Holy Spirit can partner with us in that. The Holy Spirit sets us free. Jesus has set us free. But we got to partner with him. The scripture also says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Colossians 3, it says, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated, not on earthly things. In Hebrews 12, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Where are we looking? What are we thinking about? Can we walk in victory? Yes, we can. Ask the Holy Spirit to change your thinking, to help you change these things. So Paul continues and he talks, he kind of moves from life here and now, and then he talks a little bit about how life in eternity, how we have this hope that because Jesus, the Holy Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead, lives within us, we also will be raised to life at the last days. So he talks about this life in eternity, and then he comes back in verse 12 to talk about life here and now. And so he says, we have an obligation. An obligation? An obligation to what? says, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For you, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the Holy Spirit helps us change our thinking. And then the Holy Spirit also helps us die to our sinful nature. You know, John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches, he who remains in me, all that stuff. Uh, you can't bear fruit without being connected to the vine. And if you're connected to the vine, the vine doesn't try really hard to bear fruit. It just naturally happens. If we're connected to the vine, we don't have to try really hard. The Holy Spirit will develop those good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, not of Amy, because my fruit's not very good. He's going to develop that fruit in me as I partner with him, as I walk in the Spirit, as I put to death my sinful nature. And death 
Um, as you kill something, or say for a plant, I just naturally kill plants. I don't even have to try to kill it. They just die. So um, the way you kill a plant, though, you starve it. You don't water it, or you remove the, the environment for it to grow. So for us, are we removing the environments that our sin nature grows in? Are we starving that sin nature? Yes, we need the Holy Spirit to help us do that. But how are we partnering with him? How are we actually taking steps? And if you are struggling with a sin issue this morning, yeah, it does not have to define you, but you also got to deal with it. You can't just sweep it under the rug. Face it head on. Go in knowing there's no condemnation. Jesus has set me free, so I want to be fully free, and I'm going to deal with this head on. We're going to get rid of this baggage. So if you're dealing with a sin issue, just a couple quick things. Repent. Repent. Talk to somebody. Because when sin is in darkness, it has a grip on you. But as soon as you speak it out, there's this freedom that comes, and there's an opportunity to work through it. James talks about, confess your sins one to another. If you're struggling with something, talk to somebody. Talk to one of us pastors. Phone the church, because that's when freedom comes. That's when we're able to walk in that victory. Repent and, and put a plan in place. So what are you struggling with? Maybe it's an eating disorder or overeating. Maybe you need to start planning out your meals so that you don't even have to think about it. You're just going to do it. Or maybe, um, maybe you're struggling with gossip. Girls, we like to gossip and talk. Maybe we need to get new friends. Or maybe we need to talk to our friends and say, look, I'm really trying to work on this. I want to starve my sinful nature. And so I don't want to talk about anybody anymore in negative ways. Or maybe it's deeper things. Maybe it's a drinking problem. Maybe it's pornography. I work with enough students. I know that pornography is a big deal in our culture. How are you starving that? Maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone. Maybe you need to get rid of access to a computer in a private area. Maybe you need help. It's not bad to see a counselor to get help. We all need help. But there is freedom. So talk to somebody, put a plan in place, get accountability. That's why we need to do life together. This is a family. I can't do this life by myself, neither can you, so let's do it together. Get accountability and celebrate. Celebrate when there's a milestone. You know, with some of my students who have struggled with stuff, you know, we celebrate when there's a big victory. When there's a milestone of 100 days of this or whatever, we celebrate that. You guys, where are you at? The Holy Spirit wants to help you put to death that sinful nature so that you can walk with your head held high in confidence that there is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. We do not have to walk in shame anymore. Why? Because God's spirit enables us to live victoriously as we claim our new life. That I am in Christ. That I have been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. And there is nothing that defines me except for him. So the first characteristic of this new life is new life in the Holy Spirit. The second one I want to hit on is that we have new life as children. So what does it mean to be a child? In verse, uh, verse 14 through 16, it says, because, 
because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In verse 15, when it talks about the spirit of sonship, in the Greek it's the spirit of adoption of a sonship, or of sonship. So the spirit of adoption. You and I have been adopted. That's crazy. The God of the universe is like, I want you. I want you in my family. I want to call you son. I want to call you daughter. That's who you are. We have been adopted. And this adoption originally in the Greek culture, it was a legal technical term. It's a son with full rights of inheritance. It's declarative. It's forensic. It's as if you've always been a son once you are adopted. It bestows an objective standing. It's a pronouncement that will not be repeated. You're a son. You're a daughter. It is permanent and it is valid. The God of the universe has adopted us to be his kids. Donovan talks a lot about kids of the kingdom. That's who we are. Are we claiming it? Are we walking in that new life as a child of God? In scripture, um, it uses this father-child relationship a lot to define or to describe how God feels about us. This sacrificial love that God has for us. And I love it because, uh, well, I'm not a parent, but the parents that I have talked to, they say, man, from the moment you meet this little one, this little miracle, you are gripped by it. You are gripped by this little person. You can't get over them, how awesome they are, even though you don't even really know them. You don't know their personality yet. They've just been born. But you love them so much. There's this deep bond to this person, to this little one, where you would give anything. You would sacrifice anything in order to provide for it and to protect it. That's how God the Father feels about us. This sacrificial love that he has for us. He gave Jesus himself for us. That's crazy. Who would do that? Who would take me or us and say, I want you. I want you in my family. I want to love you like a daughter. With all of our mess ups. But those mess ups don't matter anymore because there's no condemnation. And I am marked by the Holy Spirit. The evidence that I am a child of God is the Holy Spirit in me. It's like when I go out onto the field, I'm a crocker and my, my dad is really competitive. And I get that from him. I bear his name. So I go out onto the field and I bear his name and I, I don't want to lose at all. And I am competitive. I work hard. I want to play hard. I want to go out there and defeat the other team. You know In the same way, the Holy Spirit defines me. I represent the Holy Spirit. He is my new name. I have a new name in Jesus. I'm a child of the Most High God. And I go out there with confidence and with victory, and I want to represent my dad well out in the field of life. I'm a child. We are children of the King. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Are we living that way, though? Are you claiming that every day? Are you claiming that the Holy Spirit is in you? That you don't have to walk in fear anymore? 
that you don't have to walk back to the Father with your head low because the Father's already lifted up his skirts and he's running towards you like the prodigal son and he's just longing to wrap your arms around you. Guys, there's no condemnation. There's a child. You are a child of the Most High God and he loves you. You know, he continues on and he talks about this relationship, this standing that we have with God. And in Hebrews, uh, about a month or two ago, Pastor Paul talks about Hebrews 4 and how we have boldness to come before the throne of grace. Why? Because we have a high priest who's gone through the heavens, who has, been, who has been tested like we were, and yet was without sin. And so now we have boldness to enter the throne room of grace. I can come before God Almighty, not because of what I've done or who I am, but more so because of what Jesus has done. And he lifts me up. I'm not just a slave anymore. I'm a daughter. And with your dad... Obviously, we live in a world where sin mars relationships and it's marred and there are terrible parents out there, unfortunately. But this desire that we have for a perfect relationship between a parent and a child comes from our Heavenly Father. So when I go to my Heavenly Father, I know he's a good God. You know, my dad, I, I know who he is and he's a good dad and he wants to take care of me. He wants to provide for me. And so he, he'll come over and he'll do stuff on the car for me or he'll fix the door or I'll ask crazy requests and be like, hey, yo, dad, you want to um, take a day and hang out with my students and I, take 20 kids out on a boat in crazy weather and then almost get caught in the lake. Oh wait, that happened this week. Um, <laughs> you know, and my dad does it. And I, I can ask those crazy requests. Why? Because I have a relationship with him. I, I know my dad. And I know my dad's heart. Do we know the father's heart? Do we come boldly before our dad? Do we say, hey daddy, Do you know that you're a child of the king? He continues on, um, where am I? In verse 17, and it says, Now, if we are children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are heirs. What does an heir mean? Well, it's like a rich kid who has done absolutely nothing all of his life except sit on his butt, and once his parents pass away, he gets it all. He gets all of the inheritance. Now, I don't like using the idea that we're rich, spoiled kids necessarily, but in the same sense, we get it all. I get the inheritance that Jesus bought on the cross. I get the glory. I get all of that stuff, that good life that Jesus has made a way for. I get to take part in that. That's part of my inheritance because I'm a kid of Jesus. Because I'm a co-heir with Jesus, I get to grasp that. I get to walk in that and stand in that. Are we standing in that? Do we know that we're an heir? Because we are. Amen. Yeah. So we do not have to live in fear anymore. Why? Because God's spirit enables us to live victoriously as children. We are children of the most high God. Let us walk in it. So the first two characteristics, we've got new life in the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation. And he's going to help us come up and out of that sin and walk in freedom and victory. We have new life as children of the Most High God. We are an heir and we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done.
The third one is this new life of glory. So in verse 17, or first, if we're children of God and co-heirs with Christ, and we get to share in his inheritance, part of that inheritance is his glory. We get to share in his glory that I've done nothing for other than receive God's gift of salvation. But you know, the interesting thing is, is that when you're part of a family of privilege, there comes some responsibilities. So if you're part of a royal family, there's usually some responsibilities that come along with it. The same is true in God's family. And as we keep reading in verse 17, it says, So we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. What? (laughs) We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, so we like the glory part. We like this new life of glory. We want to live in that, but the suffering, I don't know. Is it worth it? You know, sometimes we come to Christ and we think everything's going to be easy. I'm just going to float through life until I get to heaven and it's going to be good. And then all of a sudden we hit a bump. We hit some trials, some tribulations, some suffering. And we think, God, are you still good? God, are you still there? Do you still love me? Why is this happening to me? Why? I thought when I came to you, everything would be peachy keen. But it's not. The reason is, Jesus says, follow me. And in the Gospel of John, I love how John paints the picture because anytime Jesus talks about his glory being revealed, he also talks about his death. See, this crazy paradox is played out in that Jesus' glory, God's glory was most fully revealed when he died on a cross. That doesn't make sense. What? How does that happen? In Hebrews it says that for the glory, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He endured the pain. Sometimes we need to walk through suffering. It's like that gold. Gold is valuable in and of itself, but it needs to be refined. It needs to go through the fire to get those impurities out. A diamond is beautiful and worth a lot in the rough, But in order to see its true brilliance and glory, it needs to be shaved. It needs to be cut. It needs to be cut in the best way so that the glory can shine, the brilliance can shine. I need a lot of stuff cut off. I'm kind of a diamond in a rough. Maybe you guys are too. I'm pretty sure we all are. (laughs) And how do we get those things shaved off? How do we burn out those impurities? It's going through suffering. It's going through trials a lot of the time. But I love what he says. He continues on in verse 18 and he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. I am willing to go through that glory or through that suffering. Why? Because the glory will be greater than the suffering. That gives me the hope to keep walking when it's hard. Why? Because Jesus did it already. He's already done it. He's already gone through it, and he walks with us through that suffering. And he says, I'm going to make you beautiful. I'm going to make your glory shine. And your glory is going to be my glory. We're going to do this together. It's not always easy, but is it worth it? Definitely. I'd encourage some of us younger ones to talk to some of the older people in a congregation and ask, is it worth it? 
Because I'm pretty sure they'll say, definitely. I do it all again for Jesus. It's so worth it. And you know, Paul, Paul doesn't just write about something that he doesn't know about. Paul doesn't ask us to endure suffering when he hasn't gone through it. He, he writes in 2 Corinthians 11 that he's been in prison. He had been flogged at least five times. He had been exposed to death. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. And yet he says, I will boast in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, in suffering. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, he continues on in Philippians 3 as well. He says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the, compared to the surpassing greatness or glory of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may be found in him, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. God's doing something great in us. Will you suffer with him? Because the glory is going to be worth it. And you know, in those sufferings, in those hard times, that's when God draws us close to him. And he gives us a peace that the world doesn't understand. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I was, went through a really difficult season, really lonely. And um, yeah, it was just hard. And one of my friends knew what was going on. And she asked me, how are you doing, Amy? And in that moment, the week had been really difficult, actually. And I just kind of broke down crying. And I said, you know, I'm actually doing really good. And I got to share, like, despite the pain, despite the disappointment, the loneliness, God had become so real to me. I knew his goodness in a way that I had never known before. And his peace and his joy that was my strength. It wasn't just cliche to say the joy of the Lord was my strength. It was real. And she looked at me and she said, Amy, that's a miracle. That's a miracle that God has made himself known to you in such a real way. And that you can walk through this with that outlook in life. That was one of my biggest compliments you know, as we walk through suffering, which I know many of you are, are we trusting Jesus that the glory that will be revealed will be worth it? And are people looking at you and are they seeing, wow, why are you so different? Well, it's because of the hope that we have. It's the hope that we have in Jesus. You know, as we continue on, it talks more about this future glory that we will enter into at the end of the age. And then he comes back to this life here and now. And he says, we got to wait for it. we got to wait patiently for it. And in verse 26 it, says, 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when we're feeling like, God, I don't want to keep going. I want to give up. Just take me home. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what, we're ought to what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. You know, when we feel like we can't keep going on through the suffering, the Holy Spirit, God himself, helps us wait patiently. And he helps us pray. 
this past little bit has been really an interesting, hard journey for me. And I found myself just praying more and more in the spirit because I'm like, God, I don't know what to pray. I don't even know how to pray. I'm just hurt. It's been hard. It's not fun. Can you just help me pray? And as, as I allow him to pray through me, that encourages me. Our God walks with us. Our God suffers with us, but our God also helps us wait. And our God prays with us so that we can wait for that glory to be revealed. He continues on in verse 28, and he says, For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Man, that's incredible. Like, I have been preaching this to myself a lot recently. Why? Because when there's a mess going on, when we feel like we're in that downward spiral, when we feel like we just want to hang our heads and, and give up, We can claim the scripture, this new life that says, I know that no matter what, God's going to turn my mess into his glory and into something beautiful. He's going to work it out for good. Why? Because my God, my dad, is a good God. He's got good gifts for us. When we go through that suffering, he gives us that encouragement. He's going to work it out. He's going to work it out, and he's going to make us more like him. That's why we walk through those sufferings, so that we can glorify him, so that we can reveal him to the world in a greater way, that we can reflect him. And I love what it says in verse 30. You know, he's predestined us. He chose us before the creation of the world. He called us. He picked us, handpicked us. He justified us just as if I'd never sinned. He cleansed me with his blood. And then he glorified us. You know, it's interesting. Those four verbs are in the aorist active indicative tense in Greek. And the aorist tense is usually used for past time. So the first three, it makes sense that they're in the past. He's predestined, called, and justified us, but glorified us. Sometimes we don't feel like we're walking in that glory. Sometimes I feel like, where is the glory? But it's already happened. It's being worked out. And God says, it's a sure thing. I'm going to, what I've started, I'm going to finish. And you're going to enter into that glory. It has already been done. So we fix our minds on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Knowing that no matter what, that in the hard times, he's going to work those hard times for good. He's going to work out everything for the good of those who love him. He gives us hope. So we don't have to walk in disappointment anymore. Why? Because God's spirit enables us to live victoriously as glorious children. We have a new life of glory. So this, these characteristics, we have a new life in the Holy Spirit. We have new life as children. We have new life of glory. And this last one that I want to hit on quickly oh, is... A life of confidence. (laughs) Cool. Uh, A life of confidence. So uh, this life of confidence, if we keep reading in verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who shall be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with all things, give us everything, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? 
It is God who justifies. Who is, it, he, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Man, when you're on a winning team, and you go out onto the field or the ice or whatever, and you know that you're going to win, you walk with your head held high. You walk with confidence saying, I'm going to score on that goalie. There's no big deal. I know my team is going to play well. We're going to play good defense. We're going to play good offense. And we're going to win. And you walk with confidence. We are on the winning team. We do not walk in sin and condemnation anymore. We walk in confidence. Why? Because God has already made a public spectacle of sin. He's already conquered sin and death. And I can walk into this life, into the, the field house of, of life with confidence. Who will be against us if God is for us. Nothing, nothing is in comparison. You know, and I love what he continues to say. Man, he gave his own son. He's gonna give us all things. He already has given us everything. Are we living in it though? He says, the charges have been acquitted. God has justified us. And when he asks, who's gonna condemn us? You know, Jesus is the only judge but instead of judging us, he said, I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to raise for you, and then I'm going to go up into heaven, and I'm going to sit with God, and I'm going to pray for you. God himself is praying for us. That should excite us. That should encourage us, no matter what our circumstances. My God, my Savior, prays for me. He's interceding on behalf of me. That is a life of confidence. And then we can be conquerors. If we continue on, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the past, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that is our God. That is the new life that we can walk into, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And because of his love for us, we can be conquerors. We are loved and we can be victorious over whatever is in our life. Are we walking in it though? Or are we walking with our head low and weighed down by whether it's our past, whether it's the suffering we're going through right now, whether it's fear of the future? I don't know what you're going through, but can I say nothing, nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus. And he has created you to be victorious, to be a conqueror, to come under him. When he made a public, sin, public spectacle of sin and death, we get to ride in with him. Can we ride in victory today? On a Harley. There we go. Woo! Take me. Sweet. So we do not have to live in weakness anymore. Why? Because God's spirit enables us to live victoriously as beloved conquerors. Where are you at today? I'd encourage, why don't we stand and I'll invite the worship team out if they're around. Round. Cool. 
I hope you are encouraged, but more than that, I hope that you are gripped by truth today, that you are set free, that you can walk in freedom, that you can walk in victory because what Jesus has done for us. So if any of you guys, I, I want to pray for you, and if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes, heads bowed, like Pastor Paul does, if any of you don't know Jesus, and maybe today you're thinking, I want Jesus, I want to be freed from my past, I want to know God as my heavenly Father, if that's you today, I'd encourage you to raise your hand, and we'll pray with you, if there's anybody. And for those of you who maybe, I didn't, if any of you feel like you're caught in shame, like you're caught in your past and you're discouraged, if that defines you at this point, I'd encourage you to raise your hand if you're caught in those things. And I'm going to pray over you that you would know deep within you that there's now no condemnation. Are any of you fearful of God today but desire a close relationship with him as your heavenly father? If that's you today, raise your hand. And I'm just going to pray that you would know God as your heavenly father. And that that would set you free, that you would know you're standing with Christ. If you're discouraged or disappointed in life today with the suffering, raise your hand. And I'm just going to pray over that suffering that you would know that God will work it out for good. That you would know God and his grace and his power and the hope that he wants to give you. And are any of you feeling weak today? Are any of you feeling like weaklings rather than conquerors? If that's you, I'd encourage you to raise your hand. And I want to pray for power for you, for confidence to walk into this week and know that you are a beloved conqueror. Jesus, we just come before you Lord, I thank you so much for the life that you have given us. God, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve this new life, and yet you give it to us. And so, God, I pray that we would walk in it. Lord, that we would claim it, that we would know that. All week, Lord, all of our life, that we would walk in this new life. And then walk in the Spirit. And so, Jesus, I just pray over those who are discouraged or, or for those who maybe are walking in shame and still clinging to the past, Jesus, may the shackles fall off. We just pray in the heavenly realms that you would unleash. Un, uh, yeah, just set them free, God, because that's why you died. That's why you rose again. That's why you gave us your spirit. So I pray freedom over those who feel caught in shame. Lord, for those who are fearful of you but want to know you, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to them how you are a good dad. Lord, may they have boldness to come before you and may there be such intimacy this summer and throughout the rest of their life that their life is changed because they know that their God is good, that their God is good dad. Amen. Father, for anybody who's discouraged or walking through sufferings, Jesus, I pray that you would reveal to them your hope, your hope of glory, and God, that they would cling to that. Jesus, help them to lift up their eyes to see you on the throne interceding on their behalf. And Lord, for any of us who feel weak, God, you're not a weak God. You're a strong God. And so I pray that your power would come upon all of us, that you would rest upon us. God, that you would make us victorious, that you would make us conquerors, and that we would go from this place in your power and in your boldness. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. And we pray all of these things in your awesome name. Amen. Go in peace and have a great week, guys.